In a world of what are yous, welcome to the place where the answer is always human. My name is Natalie and you're listening to Some Kind of Brown, a podcast about mixed and multiracial life, current events, and ways to build the best life by a southern girl who's trying to figure it out for herself. Hello, we're back again, and as you've already seen probably from the title, we have a special guest. But before we get into that, there are a few things I wanted to say. First of all, this episode is something that has been in the works for a very, very long time. It is extremely important to me, and I'm very glad to have had these guests on with me to talk about it. As you know, I grew up in Arkansas, and you might have heard me talk about the Confederate Monument downtown. This episode is going to be about, first, what it was like growing up in the South under the Confederate flag. That shadow had a long reach and affected some of the ways I see things, and definitely affected my views towards people who are supportive of the Confederate flag. The second half is actually something slightly controversial. If lynching or murder or anything like that is triggery for you, I don't recommend listening past 36 minutes. The Confederate monument in my town has a dirty secret, or two dirty secrets, that aren't quite secret. For some reason, people don't care. It was a lynching site, and we have two men and their stories that are part of public record that we know were lynched there. And I just wanted to tell their stories. It's so important to talk about these things and make sure that the people who've come before us are not forgotten. On a more personal note, it's still Wednesday. I know it's late on Wednesday. I got it, okay? Still, We're still on schedule. If you haven't seen the schedule yet, the calendar is on Instagram and Twitter and on the Facebook group. If you're following my social media, you also know that I might be, you know, well, I am kind of bleeding on the inside. So the next few weeks might be shaky, but next week is the anniversary, one year anniversary of some kind of brown. And I am so grateful for each and every one of you who are listening. I don't talk about this very often, but it would be amazing if I could get my first patron for my first anniversary. Or if you don't want to deal with Patreon. I also have the buy me coffee thing, and those links will be in my Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram bios if you would like to do that and contribute to the show. If you choose to support the show, it would mean the absolute world to me, and even if you're listening right now, I'm so grateful because I did not know if anyone was going to listen to my crazy ramblings when I started this podcast. But for now, that's enough of my rambling to my sound panels. Let's get into the conversation with Talia and Shelley from Several Tangents. Hello and welcome to another episode of Some Kind of Brown. This week we have two guests from the podcast Several Tangents, Shelly and Talia. Oh, hi. is this where we say hi? <laughs> hi. <laughs> we're, we're very on brand. Yeah. So I apologize if we, uh, yeah, if we make this episode a little bit less organized than <laughs> the usual. I'm Shelly, by the way. And I'm Talia. <laughs> There you go. So we can get the voice recognition. I'm sure people will mix us up anyway. Yeah. <laughs> if they mix it up, they'll get it as we go along, hopefully. We're yes. basically the same person. So. Oh, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually found each other on Twitter and... Yes, and 
Natalie is the sweetest, <laughs> helping us get introduced to the world of indie podcast Twitter. <laughs> I mean, how long have you had this this current podcast? Not long. A like. month? Two? Really? No, two Maybe? months, I think. Two months, yeah. yeah. I've been podcasting previously for roughly a year, which was, it was a completely different kind of feel from what we're doing now. Mm-hmm. But like this podcast is literally, it's a newborn yeah, it's a baby. <laughs> That's so weird. I'm usually the baby. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, well, now, now you you're the can. babysitter. You're the ba- yes. You're the babysitter now. Ooh, Sorry, I'm the auntie. <laughs> Ognak always said that I was still going to be a native auntie, and here I am. So- <laughs> you two are located in Canada. Right. Yes, we're in the lovely city. Well, we're slightly outside of Toronto, but we just say Toronto. Tr- it's just Toronto. Toronto. Just for ease. I. You're kind of new. Your podcast is new. Welcome to the world. And have you done a collaboration yet? No. no. This is our first. Oh God. Oh God. Um, <laughs> uh, this is fine. We'll be, be fine. fine. We're gonna do great. Oh, I'm sure you guys are going to do absolutely fine. <laughs> Something we're going to be talking about today is a story that I've been sitting on and wanting to do since the very beginning of my podcast. And I attempted to kind of reach out to people from the South who do podcasts, and they weren't really interested in the story because it is very heavy. There aren't a lot of podcasts of people of color in the South who feel comfortable about these things, but if you are one of my listeners and have been around for a while, you know that one of the things I talk about is growing up in Hot Springs, Arkansas, as a mixed girl. And there are certain experiences and history of that city that come along with it that affected my outlook and growing up and my experience. So this one's a heavy one. Yeah. I had trouble writing some parts. So just know that not all collabs are going to be this heavy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll it'll be an interesting thing for us to learn about because mm-hmm. like we both grew up in well, you didn't grow up in Toronto, but uh, I did. I I was oh. born in Ottawa. Yeah, cuz I knew you were from Ottawa, but Hey, I'm in Ottawa County. <laughs> <laughs> it is so weird to know that other places have the same. Like I think yeah, there is so a tr- another Toronto in the States, in the States yeah. because my parents were refugees. So when they came to Canada, they were poor. So they lived in a low income area, which is pretty much entirely people of color. Mm-hmm. We pride ourselves in being different from the States in certain ways. More multicultural. In where, some areas. Yeah. yeah. Definitely in Toronto. To be honest, my vision of Canada is a little skewed. Fair. Yeah. The one good point I have is that you're, oh God, what is he, a prime minister? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Your prime minister is gorgeous and says nice things. <laughs> I don't think he's that attractive. Am I the only person in the world that doesn't think that he's attractive? He's, I mean, I can see why he's attractive. He's objectively attractive. Yeah. (sighs) I think he's a conventional, good-looking white. Yes. Like I said, he's he's objectively attractive, but I would never hit it. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) But um, (laughs) unfortunately, the other side of it is a lot of the people that I know who are indigenous. uh, Yeah, it's still... Well, I guess I think this is something we will talk about on our side a little, but, you know, we have this image of multicultural, like we love our diversity, we celebrate it. 
honestly, it, people who come from small towns who come to Toronto are like confused because you see all these different people who look very different and act very different than what you're used to. But there is still like, it's not like racism is dead here. Well, I mean, the only thing I know is that Indian schools were still a thing until the 90s. Oh, I think the last one did close. And it was only recently that there was an official apology, I think. Yeah. I think within this last year. Well, in that case, you're further ahead oh. than us because we're still waiting for an apology down here. Not from Canada, from the government. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, we are notoriously apologetic, so I guess we true. could extend an apology too. If we stick Trudeau and Trump in a room long enough, mm, that's too much for Trudeau. I don't know. I don't know if I want to torture him that badly. <laughs> well, I guess... A lot of the criticism is that he hasn't been hard enough with Trump on yeah. certain things. I'm not, I don't follow politics. I know like politics tends to be a lot bigger in America too. There are people who follow it very strictly, but like the majority of people, we don't. I don't know anything about politics. Okay, so that kind of actually goes neatly into kind of giving you this perspective of what we're talking about because like I said before we started recording I'm closer to you than where I grew up now but from my understanding you have not been taught so much about the civil war and slavery and things like that and if you know anything about it that would surprise me because I've talked to my friends in Michigan and they have learned very very little their education on that is limited really? even though they're in the same country that surprises me that, because yeah. well, I think education for us as a whole, it is provincial and then each city has its own district. So the curriculum does differ slightly. But I think because of certain agreements in the past, we have to learn certain things in our curriculum, which is kind of nice because we do learn about the bad stuff that's happened too. Because I know yeah. a lot of countries are more willing to erase that part of their history and make themselves look like, you know, they were always good. But I think one good thing Canada has done, although I do feel like there should be more emphasis on it, is that they do bring up the bad parts of our past too. They maybe sugarcoat it just a little because they are mm -hmm. teaching it to, to children and don't really want to talk about the brutality of that all of it. I mean, you have to kind of gradually introduce these things. <laughs> yeah. For me, like I went to a Jewish private school for the majority of my life. And actually a lot of the history that we were taught was, was strictly just about Jewish history. Oh, wow. Okay. Like I, and we had like Canadian history classes too, but there was more of an emphasis on Jewish history. So I learned a lot more about, you know, things that happened in my history, like the, the Yom Kippur War or the Holocaust, obviously, yeah, and yeah. Like stuff like that. Like, There's much more of an emphasis on those things. So I didn't really learn a lot about Canadian history <laughs> until grade 11 when I moved to public school. Oh, wow. So that's my... Did you have, did we have history in grade 11? I think so. Yeah, I did. I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> in our schools, at least in Arkansas, you have history for three out of four years required oh, wow. in high school. And then if you're like me and you like history, then you have AP history, which is essentially a college level course that you take in high school. So I did take that. And I've talked before. It's a very odd experience. There were very few people of color at all in my school. And then when you were in the honors program like I was, that number was more than cut in half. Wow. And so there were several classes I had where I was the only person of color 
or the only person who was part black. So during the parts of history when we're talking about civil war, and then later the Jim Crow laws, and then later civil rights, my teachers would say something and then all eyes kind of turned in my direction. That must be painful. Yeah. If I were an introvert, I think that would have destroyed me. Mm-hmm. Instead, that just, I mean, it's part of the thing that gave me the passion and the fire that has resulted in this podcast. And it's one of the reasons why I talk about the racism in Hot Springs, because I grew up, I saw this racism, I heard my family's very old, my dad marry or have children until he was older. Uh, He was born in 1954, which means the next that my aunt was born in 44. Oh, wow. Yeah. So my family is very, very old. All of my uncles on my dad's side are gone because they're old. And all that's left are the wives. One of them just turned 90. Wow. And sometimes that's my aunt Nook. And I talk to her sometimes and she's always told me stories about hot springs. And when she and some of my other aunties found out about my podcast they thought it was cute but then when I told them I was talking about these kinds of things I like you need to be careful they still have this mindset of we can't we can talk out amongst each other but talking out against these things publicly puts me at risk now is is hot springs like a, a small town I shall explain. <laughs> uh, just geography, Natalie. <laughs> it's not going to be geography necessarily. It's just going to be Civil War related. So okay. the Civil War was from 1861 to 1865, which is actually really funny because I had two family members. Like if you go back, they were both born in 65. Oh. Yeah, so they were the firstborn free in my family, and my great-grandmother and my great-grandfather were born in 1865 and got married. It's weird to think, because it's like, it's just your great-grandparents, yes. so it can't be that long ago, but you but hear dang. like 1800s, like, oh, that was so long ago, but it really wasn't. Most most people are further away from slavery than I am, but my grandparents were born in 1901 and 1911, my paternal grandparents. Wow. Yeah. I think my, That's crazy. I think yes. my paternal grandpa, I mean, he's he was long past before, like, even thought of, <laughs> let alone born. But yeah, he was, I think, born in 1912. Yeah. My, my grandfather was born in 1901, died early, but that's because the artery in his stomach burst randomly and he died when my dad was 17. Oh. Yeah, it was very strange. Oh, wow. Um, wow. But... I have heard stories and what little I remember of my grandmother singing songs that were now Southern spirituals, Black spirituals, which really means slave songs. <laughs> oh, because I was thinking of like in like Black churches, how they have the choirs. I mean, we don't really have Black churches here. We just have just... Well, a lot of those gospel songs came out of, you know, people working in the fields and they had to keep themselves happy and they used those songs that they would sing in the fields to their advantage when you had things like the Underground Railroad. So that's where you get songs like, I went down to the river to pray. I don't know if you know that song. It sounds 
somewhat familiar, but I think da, 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 I should know the words. <laughs> it's one of those songs, and I have a special place in my heart for those songs I should know the words for, but I know the tunes. So yeah, when the war was happening, the Union soldiers never really came into Arkansas. Arkansas was one of these states that seceded. Okay. So when the Civil War happened, the southern states split from what was in the Union, from the rest of the United States. Mm -hmm. It was all over slavery. Yeah. On the, on the big scale. Mm -hmm. On a smaller scale, individual soldiers thought it was over land rights and basically the right to do whatever they wanted on their land. Okay. So there's kind of a weird communication thing that has resulted in people who have the Confederate flag now. They're like, my family fought for freedom on our own land and freedom and stuff. And I'm like, I... I love you. <laughs> I'm sorry your family died, but that's not what that war was about. And that's part of the argument. Hmm. But the Union soldiers never made it to Arkansas. Okay. The Northern Army. Yeah. But they were afraid that they would. A Little Rock is the capital of Arkansas. Hot Springs is one of the biggest tourist attractions. Oh. <laughs> it's, uh, it's literally got hot springs in it. It's not where they got the name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so during the Civil War, that was made the capital. They moved a lot of documents and things to Hot Springs. So for a time, Hot Springs was the capital. So like there's an old building, which is a hotel now. If you go on one of those ghost tours, I swear every town has yep. like these ghost tours. On top of the Arlington, which is now completely blocked off. No one can go up there. And I think it's probably because of structural damage because a lot of the uh, downtown area is somewhat dilapidated. Mm. They've been fighting that for years. But they had a lot of soldiers up there and they would store the bodies oh. up in that top area until they could be buried. Morbid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but these are just kind of things you grow up especially in the South, I bet you could talk to anybody who grew up in the South and they're just these things that you grew up with that are just normal. So like hot springs, you do have one year where you learn history of your actual city okay. or maybe it was part of the curriculum. I can't remember correctly. The hot springs themselves used to be separated and the Native Americans in that area, it used to be a peace zone. So the hot springs was a no fighting zone. And they would okay. come to one of the pools. Each pool had different mineral contents that were good for healing. But when the settlers came, they mixed the pools and made these bathhouses. Oh, of course they did. Ruining everything, always. I mean, they actually did ruin it. Mixing the minerals kind of voided some of the medicinal properties yeah. of it. Because one of the pools was sulfur, and then they mixed it. Uh, they tried to use, actually, a lot of people with syphilis. They would bring them in the hot springs and try to treat syphilis with the hot springs, which is an interesting little side tangent. Yeah, <laughs> um, which is kind of interesting to me since I work in microbiology. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very interesting. Hot springs is a very beautiful place. It is a national park. Like the whole town is a national park. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it has a population of about 35,000. Okay. 
it's not a small town and i don't think i would qualify it as a city no probably i mean i'm just thinking of like toronto's population (laughs) i don't even know yeah compared to that it's it's not a city at all so i like to call it a town because it's not quite tiny oh yeah Arkansas was also one of the last states to re-enter the Union. So that that should give you like a basic kind of background for the setting and and things that we're going to talk about. I am going to say that I'm not going to spare a whole lot of details. And we are going to talk about some lynchings. So if any of you feel like that's not something you want to listen to or can listen to, although I encourage you to hear these two men's stories that I'm going to tell, then you might not want to listen to this episode. You can catch our other episode on several tangents, which will be a lot more happy. It'll definitely definitely be better. So do you have any questions like you know what the confederate flag is it's not cool there yes do you have any questions about anything like that before i mean i think like kind of the basis of it i Mm -hmm. i just knew through osmosis Mm -hmm. Um, i mean knowing the background and kind of the setting really helps because i have never been that (laughs) in the u.s i mean i guess i've been to florida but we flew so it's not like we went anywhere in between so Mm -hmm. yeah That's why, like I said, I first reached out to some other Southern podcasters, but um, when you guys, I think I saw a tweet that you put out that, was it Shelly had a criminal justice background? We both did. We both did. Yeah, I I did forensics and Talia did did. criminology. Okay, so you were looking to do some kind of things like that, and I was like, hey, (laughs) I have a story, and I think it would be interesting um, because- Oh, it definitely will be. (laughs) Yeah, I, I want people to hear this story and I want uh, people to understand and that these stories need to be heard and who better to tell than people who were never there. So <laughs> That's true. Because we hear about these things, again, like kind of just like on the internets. Uh, through t- you know, TV special episodes. Yeah, like documentaries. Like, no, I was thinking about like the French Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> like oh, they did special uh- Oh, that's basically it. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, you're fine. I know, like, that's the only source of information I get for these things. Like, I'm just trying to show how minimal it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and you shouldn't feel bad for that because even people in Michigan, they don't teach a lot about slavery. And I'm not sure about education on the East or West Coast, but I imagine that their focus in history is probably on their region as well. Uh, like up here, I know that they focused a lot on fur trading and the War of 1812. We did learn about that. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, see, that's more pertinent to people yeah. in Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> which also saddens me a lot. What I really want to talk about before I get into the actual story is the impact it had on me and what it was like growing up in a city where the Confederate flag was flown Uh and is still flown downtown, like by the courthouses. Which, like, again, with with here, we try to sugarcoat everything, I think. We talk about Canada's own shitty past, but we kind of make it seem like, oh, we've moved past that. So that kind of thing... Uh-huh. would just never fly. No. I don't think I would have as much passion if it was like that. But when I say passion, I honestly it, rage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Girl, I feel yeah. I rage 
that I felt from a very young age. As soon as I learned the history, I looked around and I was absolutely appalled that no one cared. Mm-hmm. No one really thought anything about it. And I saw racism still around me and people would tell me racism is over. There's no more racism. And I'd be like, excuse me, someone <sighs> used the N-word on me and my siblings. Uh, I don't think so. People say stuff to me and my siblings. People say stuff to me. I see other people treated differently. I don't mm-hmm. think so. We still have majority white and a majority minority black school in my town. Yeah. And you can't tell me yeah. that racism is over. And now in the past two years, since the political climate has changed, it's for me, it's absolute vindication. It's disgusting, but it's absolute vindication. It's a little Southern girl not understanding why anyone cared about people with their skin color and darker. And now everyone can see all the racists have come out of the woodwork. Very, I told you so. Yes, yes. When I was younger, obviously, like a child, I didn't really have a concept or an understanding of the Confederate flag. It was, I didn't really notice it. It was just there. Mm-hmm. I don't really remember any like recollection of noticing, oh, what's that weird flag? Like, it wasn't, it wasn't on my radar. In fact, I didn't know there was anything different about my skin till kindergarten and kids pointed it out. So, oh, wow. Oh, I think I've said it before on the podcast, but my first day of kindergarten, I had, it was all white class and I had kids rub my skin and ask why it was so dirty. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so this is the kind of stuff we're talking about or the kind of stuff that affected me just, and this is in the nineties. So things have changed a little bit since the early nineties, but not very much. Um, That's crazy. (laughs) It was crazy. It was a small, out in the country, Christian school. It was just my brother and I were mixed. And then there was like a seventh grade boy who was black. And that was it. Wow. Yeah. Thanksgiving, which I hate, which is is on topic. You know, when you're little, you do the dress up as pilgrim and Indians. And I remember my mom making these shirts for us to be little Indians going to this Thanksgiving thing. And that makes my skin crawl now. But as a little kid, I was like six, seven. I didn't know. It wasn't till around middle school when they started actually getting into the heavier historical stories. Because when you were younger, it was like you learn that some good Native Americans taught the pilgrims how to make food (laughs) and grow corn and live and trade Disney. Yeah, and it's nice. And then there was a trail of tears, but let's skip past that. And then. Very quickly skip past that. <laughs> I actually got really upset because my AP history book devoted about 10 out of 600 pages to early America. Wow. Early America, I would qualify as a time when the Native Americans were on their own lands and free. But when you hit middle school, they start kind of slipping in these things and you, you're like 11 to 13 and you start realizing like, Okay. Confederate flag, flag, not so okay. Uh, the Civil War thing, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Killing the Americans, how? Oh. <laughs> this isn't what I learned when I was younger, you know? Yeah, you know what's kind of interesting is we actually did learn a lot about residential schools. I mean, you weren't 
at my school yet, but in 10th uh, grade, we actually yeah. did learn a lot about like the conditions of residential school and how it is considered genocide. Are you talking about the Indian schools? Yeah. Great. So high school. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. The, where okay. they put all the aboriginals in the school. Yeah. My uh, university roommate is aboriginal. And so she also taught me a bunch okay. of stuff too. Yeah. I didn't know that they had an alternate. I mean, that's a way better name for them than what they were called <laughs> prior. Oh, mm. I know there is supposed to be a difference between the words, but I'm not sure what the difference is. But we use oh, First no, Nations, mean, um, Indigenous people, Aboriginals. Mm-hmm. For the school, she means for the... Oh, residential school. Yeah. That's what okay. we call them. It's I guess it's like their way of making it sound less terrible. Kind of like uh, <laughs> they're going away. Like, yeah, like a, a, a boarding concentration school. camp. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's just summer camp. Yeah. It's just a summer camp. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, where we chop off all your hair that's sacred to your identity and your religion. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, just like little changes to your lifestyles, you know. It's like going on a diet. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, that, well, that's what I meant about sugarcoating is we, I mean, yeah. we do learn about it, but it's made but everyone, very You know what? Nice. Everyone does it. Yeah, no look one likes all, to confront. All of our textbooks. No one likes to, like, look at, you know. Um, my boyfriend's Korean, so I know, like, and when I moved to Korea, I learned a lot about, like, the war, you know, back yeah. in World War II mm-hmm. when Japan took over and they, like, banned everything. Oh, man. And, you know, they haven't apologized. Well, they still haven't apologized for the comfort women. And so yeah. when, when they wipe, I talk about... They wiped about, it from their history. Yeah, yeah they don't teach it. Yeah. They don't even teach it in their textbooks. It's not in anything. Yeah. And when I was talking about, like, I mentioned I was talking to my co-teachers about the Holocaust and they're like, oh, that sounds really familiar. I'm like, yeah, Germany at least apologized. <laughs> sorry, guys. <laughs> sorry. To, yeah. sorry about Japan. Learned, there, there are lots of bad feelings between Japan and Korea, between the comfort women and yeah. Japan and China. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause in actually in 10th grade, we learned, my teacher was very involved in um, talking about the comfort woman and the rape of Nanking. So we actually, there was a group of us who went to a conference to speak to some of the uh, the surviving comfort women. Oh Again, God. comfort woman is such a pretty name for what yeah. they were, right? Like, <laughs> well, absolutely. But the last comfort woman, unfortunately, in Korea, died before she ever got any kind of vindication or acknowledgement, and that was one of the saddest things. It's so sad, like. Yeah. So when you're 11 to 13, you you start realizing that what you're being taught, you start realizing how horrible these things are. At least that was for me. And I learned about the Confederate flag, about the Civil War, and I associated that flag with slavery and people who hated me and my family. Which is kind of fair. (laughs) Because how could I not? Yeah. This is around the same time where race starts to matter. Like kids are becoming more aware of race. Mm-hmm. At around the same time, I moved from a, from the majority minority school where they're mostly black and Hispanic people, where I was bullied for not being black enough. And we did school choice, and I went to the majority white school that had all the money and the resources. Because in the letter they said I could go there because um, my siblings and I added to the, to the diversity of the campus. Oh. Wow. Yeah. So you you were like, oh my God. Wow. So we helped their ratios, but um, I was also bullied there, but it was like a smaller kind of bullied. For example, my seventh grade history teacher, Mm -hmm. her name was Miss White. 
not kidding. <laughs> Her name is Miss Dwight. Not only was I 13 and going through this experience of... <laughs> On top of puberty, yeah. Yeah, I'm going through puberty. I'm being bullied. I'm, I feel so separated from everybody because you have, you know, I'm not black enough. I'm not white enough. I just felt separated. You're trying the hardest to belong somewhere. Yeah. Right. And so I went to the rich school and my family was poor, so I couldn't dress as nicely as the other kids. So all of those things are going on and you don't want anything mm-hmm. else on top of it. But Miss White will forever. <laughs> Should I not give her actual name? <laughs> that's a very generic name it though, is. and you're not giving the name of the school like it's just it's okay fun. okay it's yeah. like the game clue Miss <laughs> White, character. okay well anyway miss white which is totally not her name <laughs> um, <laughs> further separated me from other people we had a school project that we were going to do in her history class and they were like seven characteristics of the president abe lincoln she was going to assign to us different characteristics and we would have to do a paper and a presentation on that characteristic and i remember that there were two ones that i was really prepared for and i was really comfortable doing but then out of all the people in the class i was the only one who was was assigned diversity oh wow i wasn't prepared for diversity. I had done, I had all my notes and stuff ready for two others. And so I asked her privately, I said, uh, I, I have these two characteristics that I feel very comfortable researching. Why did you give me diversity? And why am I the only person in class who has this topic? She said, well, I, I kid you not. She said, well, of all the people in the class, I thought you would understand. Oh, wow. Oh my God. I was waiting for that. <laughs> so I was like, okay, like, okay, this is how it's going to be. I had two history teachers after that, and I adored them both. Aww. But there's only so much you can do when there's one of you. <laughs> Especially with like the power dynamics of a teacher versus a student. That's just not, not good anyway. You look at it. Mm. Right. And all I had to do was kind of bite my tongue and get through it, mm. which is not a skill set of mine. <laughs> which is so surprising here i am on the podcast so surprised <laughs> i'm very sarcastic sometimes but yeah. so i mean that was that was just growing up and i always hated the confederate flag i would see it on lighters i would see it in stores i'd see people flying oh, wow. it every time i saw it i just was so angry Talia's making this face like she just can't believe this is still real. I, you're pranking me, right? I'm really, really not. I am in, I don't even know what to say. Like, I just, and I can back all of these things up, I promise. In my show notes, there are going to be articles and stuff. I want people to know that these things are real and they happened. As a Black woman, saying that I want people to have the ability to mourn their ancestors who fought it's a very strange thing to say but i acknowledge that they lost family and that they want to honor their history in some way however using the symbol that was used to oppress and kill and murder and commit absolute atrocities like you said against humanity is not the way to do it so many slaves were killed so many so much blood and death and we have all these confederate monuments across the south 
But where are the markers for the lynchings? Yeah. So it's completely uneven. What we ended up with is a Confederate monument that is still in downtown Hot Springs, and I grew up with it. Wow. Land of the free. When Charlotte, <laughs> do you guys know about Charlottesville? Yes. Yes. Okay. So when Charlottesville happened, my hatred of the flag like exponentially increased because of what happened there, but of the ripple effect that happened across the South. And I, at the time, was working downtown at a church and I had to drive past the Confederate monument to get to work every day. I'm not going to lie. I would just, I can't, I wouldn't be able to fight the urge to just bring an egg with me and just egg it every single time I pass it. Do you want to die? <laughs> like, uh, no, I'm I'm not even joking. Like that is. Wow. Yeah, because every day for the longest time, there were protesters waving Confederate flags around the monument. And there were two stoplights around the monument so you'd always get stuck there and they would see that I was not white and like approach my car and wave their flags at me and stuff and I just wow not look at them and drive away so when I when I say <laughs> do you want to die I'm not joking like no inciting wow. of violence <laughs> not to say that they would pull out a gun and and shoot you but well some of them might <laughs> from the sound of that and you don't want to put yourself at risk. That's just not something that you is, is safe. So yeah, that was really, really hard for me during that time. I had a lot of obviously negative feelings and nowhere to vent it. I couldn't go to all of my family because some of my family, despite the fact we're mixed, they're like, they consider it, it's just a Southern pride thing. And I'm like, why? Yeah, like why? <laughs> You can choose what to be proud of, you yeah. know? It doesn't have to be that. Can we have a new flag? If you want Southern pride, I was talking to my friend who's a teacher, and she was telling her kids that you can have a Southern pride flag. What do you like about being in the South? And they made a flag with, like, cowboy boots and, and fried chicken and whatever. I'm like, good. You can have a Southern pride flag, but it cannot be the Confederate flag. Yeah. I'm not telling you you can't be proud of the South. Whatever. You can't use a symbol of hatred to do it. Yeah, that's, again, mind-blowing to me. Yeah. So, if that was mind-blowing to you, here we go. Oh, oh God. Okay. <laughs> you ready? I'm ready. Okay. From my family growing up, obviously when I was older, they didn't tell me this when I was a child. Good. <laughs> my aunt uncles would, you know, they'd say things here and there. Like, one of our churches was bombed by... One of our ancestral, my ancestral churches, I can't talk, was destroyed by the KKK wow. in the 70s. Wow. So I knew about that. And um, I'd heard some other stories. But I also heard that the site of the Confederate monument was also a lynching site. Oh. But that was hush-hush. Yeah. And it was one of those things where my family has been in Hot Springs for over 100 years. Mm -hmm. That part of my family. And they're like, we don't talk about these things outside, but that was a lynching site. Wow. And because they're so old, they still had this self-preservation instinct almost. And I, I just knew that that was a lynching site. It only increased my hatred for the monument, but I never saw anything. Wait, so was like the, the lynching occur when the monument, after the monument had 
come up or they built that monument where it was known to be a lynching site? They built the monument on what was known to be a lynching site. Wow. Yeah. And so I would say that to some of my friends and they'd never heard of it. Yeah. Not many people want to hear about it. And so, you know, it's just something that I heard from my family. It was a a secret thing, a private thing that just increased my hatred, Mm -hmm. to be honest, which is not a good thing. It's not healthy, but... I I feel like you can't really help that. Like that's that's just disgusting. The fact that they built a monument over it and then they're like, oh, look at this piece of our past that we're celebrating. Like, yeah, and you should not be celebrating that. I I think part of the problem was that I knew all these bad things and nobody was saying anything. That it was a pattern in my life. I just wanted people to say something, mm-hmm. to acknowledge it, to to see what I was seeing. And it just didn't seem to be the case. But in 2017, there was an article called Lynchings Hidden in the History of Hot Springs Confederate Monument by Guy Lancaster. Uh, Like I said, I'll be linking this article and any other source material I drew from in the show notes for this story. The article was published on the same day that a group had gotten a permit to organize a protest against the removal of the monument. So it was very deliberate, the timing of the release of this article. And I saw it and, you know, said something on my Facebook page because at the time I I didn't have a platform. (laughs) I still don't have a platform. (laughs) Look at me and my lofty podcast. (laughs) But um, I cried when I read the article, to be honest, because... I knew my family had told me that it was a lynching site and now we have names and stories. Oh. So people have no excuse to be ignorant, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, maybe not they didn't read the article or any other excuse you can make, but but like the the information's there. Yeah, so if you yeah. tell someone and they say no, that's not true, then like really they could look at an article that was researched by real journalists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So again, the Civil War was 1861 to 1865. And a lot of these Confederate monuments, they're all dedicated to Confederate soldiers who died, right? Mm-hmm. You would think that they'd be erected right after the Civil War, right? Yeah. They weren't. <laughs> this one wasn't erected until June 1932. Wow. That's, I'm not going to math that because just because I'm Asian doesn't mean I'm not good at math. (laughs) I'm really bad at math, but that's like 70 something years, almost 70 years since the end of the war. Yeah, that's, wow. Yeah. So they erected it during the Jim Crow era, which lasted into 65 officially. Uh, The Jim Crow laws mostly were directed towards segregation and discrimination. Mm -hmm. I like know about we don't get much of this information <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it, it was about segregation it was about discrimination against people of color mm-hmm. again it officially was supposed to end in 65 but the south held on to it until they were forced into desegregating wow. in the 70s wow so yeah they erected these confederate monuments during a time where black people were severely oppressed and i'm just gonna leave that correlation out there <laughs> For interpretation, because I really feel like I don't have to explain. <laughs> In case you didn't think we didn't like you enough already, it's a monument. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow! Do you like oh it? Do you like it? Do you like it? 
<laughs> it's kind of self-explanatory. Wow. wow. Like, so in, in, in case it was an intimidation up. move. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So keep that 1932 erection and dedication in mind. So the first recorded lynching, as far as I'm aware. So Black people didn't really matter. They're servants now, not slaves. Mm -hmm. And there's very, very little information on them themselves, which is just fucking sad. Yeah. This is public record, by the way. So you don't have to do very much research in order to find these things. So Mm -hmm. the first recorded lynching was of 21-year-old Will Norman on June 19th. 1913. Wow. 21's like, that's a, I mean, that's that's a a young person. Yeah. (laughs) Too young. Not that any age is okay to be lynched at, but you know what I'm getting at. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, I know 21 year olds aren't babies, but like, but like, we we feel old enough that way. (laughs) Like, just to think of someone that young going through that, oh, that's just heartbreaking. He was only seven years younger than me. Yeah, six years younger than us. It, It's mind-boggling, honestly. There's little information on him prior to his working with the Huff family, but he was a servant to the Huff family for about two years. Uh I don't know the full first name of the man who he worked for. It's just listed as C. Floyd Huff. Okay. It's like the letter C. Floyd Huff. And he had served... I'm like, that sounds very like, can you get any... like the whitest name I can think of. <laughs> I guess so. It just needs to sound a little more British, then that's the whitest thing you can... What, Charles. His name was Charles. It, it, it was probably Charles. Charles, Charles Floyd Huff. It's not his real name. I'm just saying. Floyd Huff. <laughs> <laughs> he had served as a judge in previous years in the county. And he had several children. One amongst them was an 11-year-old girl named Garland. Well, one day, her body was found stuffed in a closet with her head bashed in, (gasps) which is a tragedy. Yeah. Yes. But let me guess what they claimed immediately. There was absolutely no evidence against Will Norman except a couple eyewitness accounts. Are there air quotes around that? (laughs) Yes. So many air quotes, eyewitness accounts of Will running away from their house. You know, in criminology, we learn that eyewitness accounts are like the least reliable. But unfortunately, they're weighted the most. Yes, they are weighted the most, but they're the least reliable because, you know, in psychology, you learn like your memories are never really put back together. Like your memories change. Yeah. And And that's assuming people are even telling the truth. Yeah. There's so many cases of wrongful convictions based on ridiculous eyewitness Mm -hmm. accounts. It's not like someone said, I saw him hit her. I saw him with her. No, it was, I saw him running away from the house. Which is, firstly, super vague. And secondly, even if he he was running away, he really had to find the bathroom. I was going to say, if he was running away, it was probably because he clued in. If he he was the one who found the body and he clued in, he knew he was going to be blamed. Mm -hmm. See, that's what I was thinking. If he was, yeah, if he was actually seen running. Because he actually did run away. And because he ran away... It seems we were having the same thought that obviously they're going to blame him. Mm-hmm. And two to three thousand people joined the search for him. 
Wow. Because this 21-year-old, uh, <laughs> 21-year-old <laughs> man of color, black man, obviously killed this precious 11-year-old white girl. Yeah. So this day now, the sentiment is still very similar, right? Like mm-hmm. the victims that get the most attention children. are children, children and women. Not all women, white, white women, women and mm-hmm. white girls. Fair. Because like, I was mean- it, Who is it? Robert, the serial killer, Robert Pickton. He only murdered, I think, aboriginal prostitutes and nobody really clued in about it until- Because they were quote unquote- high risk yes i i'm yeah mm-hmm. my old podcast didn't do an episode on the highway of tears but there is a lot to it's, talk about yeah. yeah you know but it's mostly like the mo- ones where police officers have the most pressure especially when it comes mm-hmm. to children because you know when a child is murdered obviously it's a horrific event and yeah. they need they you know like people want to know who what kind of monster would do something like this and so the cops are like oh shit now i gotta go find somebody to pin this on or like find it yeah. the person but instead of putting the actual effort into looking at the evidence and trying to find a lot of the time they just find tunnel someone vision. of convenience yeah it's, someone of yeah, convenience someone who is not gonna have anyone to come to their defense yeah. mm-hmm. someone who the community already isn't entirely supportive of yeah yeah it, and it's still again it still happens i could talk oh, a whole other episode <laughs> about wrongful convictions because that's what i'm super passionate about <laughs> like there's just too much to talk about yeah i mean there's a lot this story these stories are a lot so despite there being no evidence he was held accountable and a mob of around 500 people gathered to witness will norman's execution i that Again, I said I wasn't going to spare any details because this deserves to be heard. But Mm -hmm. he was lynched and then burned and his body was desecrated when standers by decided it would be a great idea to take pieces of his charred bones as mementos. What is wrong with people? This happened in 1913. That's not that long ago. No. 1913. Yeah. And there's more. People took matchboxes of his ashes and sold them. Ew, what the heck? Yep. Like, when you think of, like, public executions. That's like... You you think, like, oh, medieval, these people are all, you know, very brutal and, like, completely different standards compared to today. But 1913 no, was is, not that long ago. It no, was, a little over 100 oh, years yeah. ago. And that was the first recorded lynching. There's another one, which happened later. Just in our... Arkansas or like in states. Oh, these are these are in the spot of the Confederate Confederate monument. Oh, so we're just specifically yeah. okay. So they are specifically right there. Oh my yeah. god. Actually, I'm gonna put pictures of this monument up on my Instagram. But while we're talking, I can go ahead and send it to you just so you guys can see. Oh yeah, I I see the Confederate flag there. Yep. So the first flag on the left is a Confederate flag. Yeah. The second one beside it is the Arkansas state flag and then the United States flag. And then I think that was like the Union flag. They balanced it out. What a beautiful monument. Mm-hmm. I mean, like if you Jeez. had if you had no idea of the history. Yeah. Like, it looks just, it just like looks any like other. normal monument. Like I yeah. was going to say, I don't know why I was picturing like this a soldier on a horse and it's all brass, like standing <laughs> on like a, a pedestal or something like that. Like, well, it is, it is a, there is, yeah. 
Well, there's a famous one. Like that's actually a famous statue. I see the like, statue. I mean, the fact that it even says like Confederate memorial, oh, like they're just that's disgusting. Oh man, I hate it. My little sister took it, and we didn't quite get the fact that it's a triangle. It's literally just a triangle. You can see a little bit of the sidewalk yeah. on the left. That triangle mm-hmm. right there is where Will Norman died. Oh, wow. Disgusting. So the next recorded lynching was of 28-year-old Gilbert Harris on August 1st, 1922. Wow. And remember, this monument was erected in June of 32. Mm-hmm. That's so 10 years so he was my age this time not that it matters because lynching at any age um yeah it doesn't matter it's terrible either way instead of being accused for killing looking at interacting with or breathing near a white woman which a lot of people were killed for Mm -hmm. gilbert was accused of killing 26 year old maurice conley Conley was a nephew of yet another judge and a young businessman. The story is supposedly that Gilbert murdered him during a robbery gone wrong. Noticing the pattern. The judges. The corruption. People, rich people in power. One judge, one ex-judge. Mm-hmm. People in power. And we will never know whether he did it or not because an armed mob broke into the jail, broke him out, took him to the triangle that I showed you downtown where the Confederate monument stands, and he was lynched. Wow. This is tough again. Um, After letting his body hang for about half an hour, they let his body down. And there were some black people who went to take his, they wanted to take his body and give it proper burial. Mm -hmm. Uh Instead, they were turned away. They tied Gilbert's body behind a truck, and his body was dragged What to hell? a quote-unquote Negro mortuary and cut loose, and they just left his body in front of it. Wow. Now, Maurice Connolly, the victim, again, sad. He di- Someone killed him. Yeah. But his body was treated with much, of course, much more dignity. Oh, yeah. In fact, the Ku Klux Klan... They're rumored mm, to be involved in the whole thing, but it's unclear. However, they lined the way for the coffin of Connolly in full u- uniform. Wow. You know there's a problem when. <laughs> yeah, and honored him that way. And like they left flowers on his grave. Wow. And it's in Hollywood Park Cemetery. I know where I've been to that cemetery. I know where it is. Ten years after the murder of Gilbert Harris and some math after <laughs> the murder of Will Norman. The Confederate monument was erected on the spot where they breathed their last breath, surrounded by a crowd filled with hatred. The Hot Springs chapter of the Daughters of the Confederacy raised money for the monument, and there was no doubt that there were plenty of people who either witnessed or knew what happened on that spot, and yet they had no trouble putting it there. Mm-hmm. Well, crowds of hundreds. Ugh. Yeah. Like, I don't even have words right no. now. I just... It's weird, like, when you hear, oh, yeah, like, obviously we knew about lynchings. We know of public executions, but we never really think about, like how how it looks because yeah in in like tv shows and stuff you know you have like an angry mob and then you have people jeering but you don't really show the complete 
humiliation of the person even after they passed, like, like the dehumanization of everything. Yeah. Yeah. They completely desecrated both Mm -hmm. of the men's bodies, sold parts of one. When Gilbert Harris, the second man was murdered, there were children present. The judge let his son attend. Oh my God. That makes me physically ill. (laughs) The son wanted to go and was quoted as saying something like, are we going to lynch the Negro? Wow. Yeah. I don't even know. I'm sorry. I'm just like, I'm physically ill and I'm speechless. Like, I just. Yeah. We, you know, I only. use details no, usually. Like, you know what? I, the, you know, like the Salem witch trials. I've heard a bunch of stuff about that and like, mm-hmm. you know, how they would torture women beforehand and stuff like that. But I've never like really heard about these kinds of situations. I knew that probably things like this happened a lot, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but I've never heard like the specific details before and it's fucking disgusting. (laughs) Yeah. Who does that? Who takes pieces of someone's bones who didn't even get a fair trial? Like if you're a judge, if you're an acclaimed or like a, a proper judge, you're supposed to give people the benefit of the doubt. You're mm-hmm. supposed to wait until a fair trial mm-hmm. to, you know, convict somebody. And neither of them got a fair trial. Because at that time, they didn't have the right. No. And no. it doesn't. it's sad because it doesn't shock me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At, I mean, like, at the time, they were still kind of debating, are these persons, right? Like, just so fucking yeah. stupid. We all, we're literally all the, like, all of our insides are exactly the same. Like, we all have, well, I don't want to say we all have brains, but we have, you know, we have brains. <laughs> Clearly not everyone. Maybe has. not everybody has a heart, you know what I mean? Like, we're all literally made up of the same shit. The only difference is our ethnicities, and like our, how you, you look. know, yeah. yeah, like our appearances, our skin color, our, you know, it's just so... Like, since I was a kid, I never understood that. I just yeah, because like well, we're all the same fucking thing. Yeah, like you think okay, like we're all the same. Obviously, we're different, but we're the same, right? Yeah. But like, and I can tell you from a genetics perspective, we are pretty much all the same. Like we are, we're point three percent off from chimpanzees. So <laughs> imagine, like some people, not so much. <laughs> <laughs> but nineteen twenty-two was less than a hundred years ago. Yeah, and that's. Like the fact that less than a hundred years ago, someone was they weren't even and- thought of as a human. Like, okay, the laws uh, might say they're only however percentage of a person, but they weren't. They weren't even thought of as like you wouldn't like even if okay, let's go into the mindset of these racists. And even if you <laughs> were to think like, what's your perspective of thinking of doing this to an animal? You wouldn't even do that to an animal, let alone an actual human being. If you did it to an animal, you would be sent to jail. Yeah. Whereas you're celebrated when you do it to a person. Wow. What an accomplishment. We're talking about a crowd of like 500 people is what they said was how many people were at the crowd of Will Norman's lynching. There's always been this weird fascination like throughout history with death. Like, you know, a lot of people go to watch executions. Like, why can't I? Louis the 16th. Is that isn't that fourteenth? Fourteenth? I don't remember. I don't remember. <laughs> one <laughs> of those. <laughs> um, but one of those, you know, like and Marie Antoinette, you know, like hundreds of people went to witness that. Like, it's this weird, morbid curiosity. Obviously, they're different cases, but and what, I don't. 
watching but, like, someone just be it's killed. It's just fucking weird to think it's, about. It's for me. weird, but then you take like these people prison are taking it. People well, go to watch those yeah. too. Yeah, I was gonna say this is so much more sinister. They took it to the next level. Yeah, this is just like I was gonna say. There's those cases, and then there's shit like this where they literally sell pieces of human bodies. What is that? Yeah, these people were excited, very excited to see. What is that? <laughs> I don't. I'm like, I can't. I don't even know. You, just, you know when I said my mind I'm was angry. blown. <laughs> I think Talia has like. My like brain her, is leaking out of my ears. Yeah, I think she, her brain has been atomized. I just, <laughs> I'm angry. <laughs> just yeah. How I don't understand. People get so mad about oh, this white person was murdered and mutilated, We're, which is terrible. You know, yeah, of course. Like I'm not <laughs> diminishing murder by any means, but I think like if we talk about it back then, a white person is killed, everyone's up in arms. Yeah, two to three thousand people went to look for Will Norman. But if a black person was killed, nobody gave a shit. Yeah. People were happy about it. And the the deaths of the white people were just convenient excuses, really. It wasn't like, part of it was they were blaming the most convenient people. And I think part of it was definitely malicious because you can tell by what was happening during He fled probably because he was scared for, he's scared for his life. The reason he fled was like, shit, I found this body. They're going to blame it on me. And And of course he was right. Right. And just because we have these stories, only these two stories that were documented, that does not mean that there were mm-hmm. more. Yeah. They were the only two people killed on that spot. Yeah. yeah. I don't even want to think There's about a reason how many people- they were taken to that spot. Yeah. So you know? Here's a something I quote according so like this is an actual actually documented in one of the newspapers at the time <laughs> about the burning of Norman's body. It's not nice. But according to the Gazette, one of the witnesses gave a quote for the article. Within another five minutes, the black outlines of the Negro could be seen through the tongues of the flames. Within another half an hour, only charred bones of the Negro remained. I want to throw up. (laughs) Yeah. That's how how they spoke. It's just so... They didn't even say his name. No, No, he was the Negro. No, because he de- he doesn't deserve to have his name on record. He wasn't a person to that. He was That's, he was someone oh who man. killed a white man. Maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> possibly. Yeah. Oh God, I don't even know what to say anymore. I'm just like, just <laughs> she, she just punch something. I think she wants to go kickboxing right now. <laughs> yeah, I really just want to punch something. It makes me so sad. To think about how scared these people were. Yeah. Constantly, not even the ones that were wrongfully murdered for no reason. Yeah, because can you imagine, like, all the other Black people there after seeing this, like, they're literally treading on eggshells because every little thing. See, that's what I'm saying. There are 500 people in that crowd, and I guarantee you that 500 estimate is not talking about black people that were out on the outskirts watching someone they knew, their brother, their family, someone they had been in communication with watching this wanting to do something about it and not being able to do a thing. And especially in Gilbert, where people tried to come forward, other black people tried to come forward and take his body, like, let us... Like, it's done, you know, just let us give him a burial. Yeah. Oh, man. You've killed him, you've had your moment, now let us go be respectful to the dead, like... And they wouldn't even let them have that. 
they had to tie him to a truck and take him to the Negro mortuary. Because that's the most logical response. <laughs> like, I feel the like first the, choice. I, I can only imagine that the people who tried to give him a burial were probably quote unquote reprimanded. I mean, it's not a big stretch to say they could have been beaten or mm-hmm. they could have been even further ostracized. Yeah. You never know. It, and like you said, People who saw this were probably walking on eggshells after Mm -hmm. they watched what they did. Because again, the one that happened in 1922, Gilbert Harris was the last lynching that we know of. And it was probably the last that we know of. But it definitely wasn't the first. That's how for a long time people in the South kept Black people under control, quote unquote. Well, that was (laughs) heartbreaking. That was. I told you. I mean, I like. I mean, obviously, I, I didn't think it was gonna be sunshine and rainbows, because like, <laughs> I guess I mean it's been a, a while to be honest since I've been involved in anything kind of social justice related mm. beyond just casually conversing about it. Because it was, and I'm sure you understand, literally having a podcast about racial issues, like. It can be a very negative space, but it is also very important to know about this stuff. Look, I've studied forensic science. I've heard terrible things. And I a lot of the times I'm very removed from the humanity part of it because I'm looking at it strictly from a whereas side. Whereas you're strictly like all I'm about all the people. About the, yeah. yeah. But like hearing about, you know, knowing the names, knowing the ages, like imagining their emotions just really makes it heartbreaking. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to tell the story. We had this article, it got some attention, and then it went away. Mm -hmm. Nobody cared. That's crazy. That's how it is everywhere with everything. Yeah, especially if it's about black or brown people. You know, you hear about all these horrible genocides, horrible disasters even, but if it involves like not white people, then it's like, oh, that's terrible. I'm going to text, what is it, 555 to Red Cross to donate, and then you're done. Yeah, done a mitzvah, as we would say in Judaism, <laughs> which is a good deed. I think when we were talking about this, I think I told you I feel a large sense of responsibility to, if I'm going to choose to talk about race issues, then I'm also responsible for making sure that these stories are heard. Yeah, these stories need to be told. Yeah. yeah. And it also helps, like, even... You know, like I said, I I wasn't always very involved in the social justice. I used to be, but I had to distance myself because of a lot of negativity, not just because of hearing all the terrible things that happened, but also yeah. just a lot of the people involved were not actually the nicest people, yeah. despite what they claim. Even if you are involved, hearing these things, hearing experiences from different people, it kind of opens your eyes even more, even though you think you're quote unquote woke already. Yeah. Yeah. It was very important to me that people, one, knew what it was like for me growing up and seeing that mm-hmm. as a child born in 91, knowing the impact it had on me, and then knowing the names. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing Will Norman, knowing Gilbert Harris, knowing that they were 21 and 28. I think. The names make it so much more real. Like mm-hmm. in Jerusalem, in the there's a museum called Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Museum. And like mm-hmm. the child's memorial is like you walk through this hall of mirrors and they just say names of kids in their ages. Oh. And it's just like, 
I can't even go. I can't go in there. Yeah. Like I went there once and I'm not going back because <laughs> it's like, and then I think in another museum, they give you a picture of a child with their name, their story and like their age. And then like you walk around and you like learn, it's like you learn their life. Yeah. It's hard. I can't like, I, I'm really yeah. glad I guess to have learned all these things. Like mm-hmm. I didn't know any of this. And so I feel like what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's just, I'm, I'm happy that I've been educated because this is super important. And it's mm-hmm. like- That you have an awareness of these things. Yes, thank you, that I've been made aware because it's just so shocking that nobody thinks about these things. Like, yeah. this is just as bad as, like, oh, I don't even, I can't. I'm, I'm, I cannot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I mean- Sorry. It's okay. It's it's a lot to take in. And the first time I heard it, I didn't know what to say either. I just want this to be real for people. Uh, now you feel a little bit of what mm-hmm. I've been feeling in my heart for years and I've been wanting to tell and it might be weird to have saved this episode for right before my first year anniversary but I that was intentional (laughs) I'm just by myself I don't have a co-host I tell stories of other mixed people stories about myself and I do tell stories of what it was like growing up in the south and particularly hot springs this is what it was like this is part of what it was like for me and I don't know if people understand the just how hard it is as a person of color, as a black person, as a mixed person, as someone who f- feels very much so they don't belong. How can you feel like you belong when everywhere you turn, yeah, there's a Confederate flag, whether people mean it one way or another? And I think that's just the the magic of privilege is that the people who are like, well, you're making a big deal of it. It's because they have never had to feel what you felt. They have never had to feel threatened in their own community. And they've never had to be reminded of terrible things that were done to people who were like them because, you know, they, they were the oppressors, really. Like, the you know, you think back to those times, their ancestors were part of the problem. Yeah, well... They're still the problem, not because they're, (laughs) well, some of them are, but not because they're going out and doing violence, but because Mm -hmm. they're closing their ears, they're they're putting shutters on their eyes, they're not acknowledging the racism that's still happening. Like you said, that was less than 100 years ago that Gilbert Harris was lynched, and everyone's so eager to leave that in the past and forget unless it's preserving Southern history in the Confederate flag. Yeah, that's terrible. I'm, I've mentioned it already, but I, I know Canada is not some beautiful, multicultural, non-racist haven, but I am glad we grew up here in yeah. this time period <laughs> mm-hmm. of all places and times. Yeah. Oh, I'm very glad I grew up in this <laughs> right. time period. <laughs> You know, when you're little and you play that game, I I don't know if you did, but you ask each other, if you could live in any other time, what time would you live in? The 80s. (laughs) I always was like, now. Yeah. Yeah. And they'd be like, why? You wouldn't want to go to the Renaissance or like the Victorian age? Why? Why would I want to go back there? Why? (laughs) Although I would like plumbing to work also. I mean, people don't (laughs) think about that part of things. True. true. Whenever I walk around the ancient city in Israel in Jerusalem and there's like this little grooves in the ground I'm like oh yeah that's where all the pee and <laughs> <laughs> great 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, there's I that, like- and like, um, there's a good chance I'll get killed. So, like, no. Yeah. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah. So, how is that for forensic <laughs> psychology or criminology? Yeah. Oh, if we actually, this is why we can't do a true crime podcast together because we would not shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is my first time doing a true crime podcast and we're almost two hours and I'm probably not going to split this episode like I usually do. So my listeners are going to get a nice long episode. We'll call it the pre-anniversary special. (laughs) Whoops. Well. (laughs) I know that was a crazy trip and I am so grateful that you took that trip with me. (laughs) We're grateful too. Yeah. Thank you for educating us and opening our eyes. Because it, it really does, like, change a lot of things, even though you think you know about something. Like, you really yeah. you really need to know the details and the hu- human part of it, mm-hmm. which is the most important part. It's my dream one day to, right across from the Confederate flag, erect a statue in remembrance of those two men and all of the Black people who suffered in Hot Springs. That is one of my dreams, and I hope that one day yeah. that can happen. But I'll give you the opportunity to... Just tell everybody where we can find you. Oh, so we are on a gazillion different <laughs> platforms. Yeah. Um, you can look for us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and our anchor page, which is anchor.fm slash several dash tangents. Um, we're also on Twitter and Instagram <laughs> as several tangents. And I think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> we're always bad at that part. <laughs> We are, you're fine. And we are going to have another episode on their podcast. So keeping an eye out for that. And while you're at it, they are on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes. Go ahead and leave them a good review. Five stars, please. Because they have been amazing. You can check their podcast out as well. Thank you so much, Natalie. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, I know that was a doozy, but I am so glad that we had this conversation and now you know. And hopefully this story touched you, something resonated within you. You want to share the stories of these men who were more than likely falsely accused. And whether they did what they were accused of or not, their deaths were senseless and unnecessarily violent. The South tries to do a good job of covering up its past, but all it does is create a more of a divide between the races. If we can look at this and remember and have these atrocities against our communities spoken about and acknowledged, then we can start to heal. It was very interesting to have this conversation with Talia and Shelley who are Canadian. Even people in Michigan, like I said, don't know a lot of the things that happened in the Jim Crow era or post-slavery era and hearing their reactions to things that people in the South that I knew might not even shrug at. If you liked hearing Shelly and Talia and you want to hear more from them, I will be linking their social media in the show notes. Again, if you'd like to support the show, I do have Patreon and Buy Me Coffee. And I also released new merch with the new logos, and that link will also be in my bios. If you go to any of the social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you can see what kind of merch we have available. The die-cut stickers of Some Kind of Brown are kind of my favorite, and they look amazing on hoodies. I'm just saying, just a suggestion, putting it out there. In any case, I hope you have a wonderful week, 
I hope you're as excited about me for next week, the one year anniversary of Some Kind of Brown. Thank you to Purple Planet for the use of your song, Love Life, and I will see you later with some more Shades of Brown.